Hey guys, just up top. I did review the book The Final Proof on Friday and there's a very high chance that it could be out for distribution this week. It won't be in all the bookstores straight away, it will take some time to be distributed to all of them, but it's pretty exciting if you will be able to access the book this week. If you can't happen to access the book this week, it has been an extended September Fool's prank, so just keep an eye out on all our social medias in case you get to have a copy of the book and you can read along as we chat about it in the podcast, which will be so exciting. But yeah, just keep your eyes peeled just in case. And until then, let's get on with the podcast. Hello and welcome to episode three of How to Conserve Conservationists. You're with Jesse and Todd. And today we're going to be talking about chapter three of the book, We Are All Imposters, all about imposter syndrome. So, what do you what do you know about it? Well, I know a lot what about is imposter it. syndrome. What do you think imposter? How would you define imposter syndrome? It's when it's a mental state where you feel like an imposter. Yeah, or a fraud for doing something that you actually know. You're like, am I? Like, I'm just some guy who's just rocked up here pretending to know know what I'm doing. But you've been like studying in it for years, or but working like, in it for years. Yeah, like obviously you're completely educated and qualified to be there. Yeah, and I think, like, the more educated and qualified you are, the more you experience imposter syndrome, and that's because of, like, the other phenomenon, which is the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is, like, the more you know, the more you know how much there is to know and how little you know in the scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's, like, the difference. Imposter syndrome is feeling like a fraud for doing something that you, like, absolutely know how to do, and then there's Dunning-Kruger effect, which, like depending on how much or little you know, you might know actually the opposite. So you can be in a situation where you're highly educated, you know a lot more than the average Joe about something, and instead you feel like you know nothing, you don't deserve to be there. Or there's like bloody Facebook commenters that don't know anything and they think they know everything. Well, that's well, that's what I normally hear the Dunning-Kruger effect used as. like People who know like one or two things... And they think that makes them an expert. So they really, really confidently will spew these really simplified ideas. <laughs> Do these things affect conservationists in your findings and experience? Yeah, well, of course. Like, we're not valued for our work. So every conservationist I know is like riddled with imposter syndrome. But interestingly, when you say findings, like I actually took the science. Um, I went through the top 70 blogs that were submitted to Lonely Conservationists and it found that self-doubt was a huge factor that impedes us in our work, in our everyday lives. So I think it's pretty obvious that conservationists especially would feel imposter syndrome because one, we either know so much, we know how much more there is to know, but also we don't get paid anything and we're not valued for our work. So it's so easy to rock up to a conference, think, oh, I'm not affiliated with anyone. I don't know anyone. I'm not paid. Um, I'm shit and I don't deserve to be here. But what I'm interested in is... In the technology world, there's obviously a lot of money going around. Um, almost, I imagine there's a lot of ego. Almost legitimate imposter syndrome then because that you're not affiliated with it. You're not there by in any official capacity. You're just rocking up as some person super interested in this stuff. What, in conservation? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like the last um, conference I was in, I went to Adelaide and... I'm actually from Adelaide, so I felt pretty comfortable in my hometown. You weren't an imposter. I wasn't Adelaide. an imposter there. But 
I was the only I was actually there as a women in STEM change maker. Like I was sponsored to be there. I'd been approved for a sponsorship. They thought I was worthy enough to go there um, and to fund me and to pay for my flights and everything. But I was the only person there that was not affiliated with the university to the fact that a lot of the workshops were just on university content and based around universities. So when people actually asked me like, Jesse, um, who are you affiliated with? What do you do? And I told them I was with Lonely Conservationist, like an independent organization. They just literally stopped looking at me. They re- like revoked to their eye contact. They started they like, were... <laughs> it was so horrible. I've never been in a situation before with adults where as soon as you say one thing, they just shut off. It's like, nah, we want nothing to do with you now. I, I, I had a somewhat similar experience at another at a conservation conference that you you were invited to and to be fair i wasn't actually invited but i tagged along to a dinner and i ended up with chatting with some of the other people properly attending the conference and we were talking about like oh yeah i mean went to indonesia to look at drones for the like i you know i did do something for conservation sort of and they're like oh that's super fascinating i have to like read your research you know what university are you from and I was like, oh, no, I haven't. I dropped out of uni. I'm not here for any university. And they just were like, oh, what? They literally laughed in my face about that. <laughs> Did that hurt you? Did that crush your soul? Um, I think he, he was, a, you know, just a jovial guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's just but messing around with you. I think it, his reaction was very, like... Jarring? Authentic. Like, mm-hmm. he actually just found it hilarious that I thought I could do something <laughs> without a university degree. But you've done a lot without a university degree. And Todd's actually, like, he's got a pretty good government job. And he <laughs> he hasn't succeeded at any tertiary education, TAFE or uni. But I think <laughs> this is not to say, like, this is, like, a good point, is that you don't have to have the brain of an academic to succeed in life. You've done a lot of things and you've contributed greatly to the world, but you just don't have, like, whatever it takes to knuckle down and study like and that's not to say that the dumbs no you're not dumb because if like for instance todd's been passionate about computers and technology and drones since he was a kid and when he was like so young like five or something he's like i bet when i'm old enough and i have the money and the skills i can build this drone and then when he got old enough and got the money he built the drone exactly as he envisioned when he was a kid so it's like you're not stupid is that you already had been tinkering and stuff and you knew how to do things in your own way like beyond what they were teaching you in university almost like you worked out how to do things for yourself that doesn't make you feel qualified and official well that's the problem in the industry especially like in conservation where you i don't think you need a degree and if i didn't go to indonesia i think my honors degree would would be useless nobody's ever asked me have I got an honours degree? What's your education? Like the fact that I have worked in a remote location and worked on the ground with an NGO was way more important than my piece of paper. Yeah. But it doesn't like people in the academic world don't acknowledge that. Well, my assumption is in the conservation world, there's sort of a split between the people who treat it like an area of science to research and the people who are just in very practical terms trying to make sure animals survive. Mm. Is there a split of like sort of cultures there? 
Well, I mean, like, I guess there's a couple of different routes to conservation. That's the problem. In the book, I describe it as, like... Because I could imagine, like, one group really, really respecting university study and the other group, like, you could just be some chump who just done this a lot and you'd probably be less of an imposter than some person who just, like, I studied blah, blah at university and then you come to, like, you know, a llama farm to look after llamas and you have no idea because, you know, you studied how populations in ecology work. Well, the problem is, like, there's, like, conservation, there's no set, like, career path like there is in nursing or other other careers. So you could end up working on, like, water ecology. You could end up looking at soil science. You could end up looking at, like, macroinvertebrates to forest landscapes to bogs to, like, literally anything. So it's like a, there's not, like, one clear pathway to choose but i think what what i'm really passionate about is like people in certain areas who grew up in like villages in like remote countries they're surrounded by biodiversity and they know everything the function of everything and it's not recorded in science so scientists come in and be like oh there's this world of information that's never been documented like they must not know anything but it's like no they just there's like, just because it hasn't been recorded for science doesn't mean they don't know anything. So there's people that might be surrounded by biodiversity. They might be conserving every day. And academically, they're not recognized for their work. And that's a huge problem. Because even there's a blog. Do they do they need to be? I feel like just... Well, so there's a There's blog. no other group of people who are like, wow, you really did good there. Apart from universities and... No, but there's a blog written by um, a Costa Rican who the whole blog is about how Westerners come to Costa Rica and take all the jobs when they're there. Um, like her friend identified new species of frogs and was one of the top biologists and he can't get a job because Westerners are coming in and they prefer to give it to them instead of the local people. So I feel like academia has also got problems with that where it's like, if you want the standards to be so high, you may be like, oh, Australia has better caliber people than people from Costa Rica. Let's employ them as the... I mean, probably not right, though, right? No. Well, you should, very, be, uh, you should be employing the people... Western first. You should be employing the people from your own country, and then you get the cultural change. Like, that's exactly why I left Indonesia. Like, basically, I spent my whole life, like, 26 years of my life, or 24, I don't know, a long time trying to get to Indonesia to save the orangutans. When I was there, I realized that I can't have a long-term cultural change. Like, I don't have children there to pass information on to who can pass that information on to their friends, their children. Like, as a Westerner, there's only so much I can contribute to a landscape. So I feel like that's a huge thing in conservation where we need to be giving more credit to local communities who are doing on-the-ground work. And just because they're not represented by science is not a bad thing. You'd feel a bit weird going to a different country just uh, just because of historical reasons as a white Western person and being like, you should do things differently how I think you should. Like, that just feels different. I would never forget this story. I got told in my undergrad, um, my lecturer said, there was these conservationists who were worried about a population of mango bays, which are like monkeys in Africa. So they went to the village and they're like, um, hi. I need you guys to all evacuate your village because we want to save these mango bees. 
I think I said mega bees before I mean mega bees. <laughs> They're bees or mug what? They're monkeys. Okay, They're we'll start again. <laughs> There's this population of monkeys. And a con- like a scientist and his group of conservationists comes to a village, a rural village, and he's like, we want you to evacuate your village. We want to protect the monkey population here. So the village killed all the monkeys and said, no more monkeys, we don't have to move. If white people come in and say, like, you have to do this... Like it's not I mean, the fly. interests aren't going to be aligned in yeah. the best case. Anyway, I think... I've, I've heard of almost... I've heard of the concept of, like, uh, there'll be, like, wet markets in, you know, more out-there countries. And, like, Western university students will go to the markets and they'll find, like, some weird little rat that hadn't been discovered by science yet. So they would just go to a market where some guy has gone into the forest, captured this critter, brought it to the market to sell us food, and then some Western University student finds it there and is like, oh, hang on, this is a new species. Yeah. I discovered this species in this country. It's like, well, hang on, did that's a weird way to do it. Yeah. Well, I guess we're getting more into colonialism now than in <laughs> imposter syndrome. But like, back to my question that I had before, like, we don't get paid anything in conservation and it's easy to feel like an imposter in the technology sphere where there is a lot of money but it's obviously very competitive with like people wanting to release new things and be like always wanting to be spearheading new like technological concepts is imposter syndrome as prevalent in your industry do you think not super widespread (laughs) there's plenty of people who or the opposite problem maybe they think they know everything the they don't. it's more of the Dunning-Kruger effect situation uh, I know for me like you mentioned not being paid makes you feel like you don't you have no right to be there mm. but I for the past two years I've been doing the same job and every single project I'm just one of the worker bees and I, every time I'm like oh, man if I was in charge I'd be doing things differently and I'd be doing things way better and now my boss is like, oh, Todd, do you want to be in charge this time? So I was like, okay, that's okay. Now I'm going to be in charge and I can do it properly and do it so much better. But now, oh, like people are reliant on me. <laughs> people like, you know, it's up to me. The responsibility is on my shoulders. That's, that's when I feel the imposter syndrome because it's like, you know, I've never been the boss before. I don't know how to manage people. I don't know how to make sure things get done. So almost you had Dunning-Kruger convert into imposter syndrome. You're like, I can do this better. Like, I, Yeah, I know one or two things. <laughs> so I must be an expert. And then and you actually like, well, get well, okay, the opportunity. Okay, do it then. I'm like, ah, oh, no. I'm probably not an expert. There's one imposter syndrome moment in Todd's life that I'll never forget. And it's when there was like a problem with a game or something. And so Todd reached out to the actual creator of the game and then he was like, he'll never respond. He won't have time for little old me. And then he actually responded to you and was super thankful for your your feedback. I did yeah. <laughs> I was I was trying to program something and this guy I was trying to use this guy's tools that he made. So like he made the tools like the hammer and I'm just trying to like build, <laughs> make something really bad with this hammer. So I'm like, oh the hammer's not working properly. I've I'm probably an idiot. Uh, I bet the guy who made the hammer knows how to do this a lot better. So I found out who he was and spent like half an hour for some reason just Googling what his career is. And he's like, he's made this hammer. 
He's made other things. Seems like just a super nerdy, smart guy. Had a bit of a man crush on this guy just develop immediately just from, you know, how amazing he was. Then I email him like, listen, I'm probably using this hammer wrong. I'm so sorry to bother you. You're a great hammer creator. And then he emails back. He's like, I never even thought to use the hammer that way. That's a great way to use it. Oh, what are you working on? That sounds really interesting. And I was like, oh thanks I was just like laying in bed that night like he had the biggest crush like if like your crush says hi to you that day that was like Todd that night like oh my god he complimented me on wanting to use the hammer this way (laughs) so I think that's another thing that's like kind of important is like you don't know like you're so full of imposter syndrome because you you just automatically assume everyone knows more than you and I think that's like a good way to kind of overcome imposter syndrome is having that confirmation that oh you're actually quite knowledgeable (laughs) because like to be really honest Todd and I were really apprehensive about doing this podcast like I've always said oh I never want to do a podcast I can't edit things I'm not good with technology like my voice sucks like what even is my accent I don't know. <laughs> Even in Adelaide, like where I was from, I would get asked like seven times a day where I was from. And I'm like, here. And they're like, no, before that. And I was like, here. <laughs> and even when I moved to Melbourne, they're like, where are you from? I'm like, Adelaide. And they're like, oh, I thought it would be further away. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> so I thought anything to do with my voice would be like, not good. And like, obviously we talk all the time, but never in a, this capacity you never know if you will say something wrong with an invisible audience yeah i don't know it so it was actually really amazing when we posted the first one and we got your guys's feedback that you actually enjoyed hearing todd's perspective on what i grew through in the conservation industry and like having this format that gave us the confidence to keep going and, and do more but like it's interesting how big our imposter syndrome was for just this podcast in general <laughs> I get, do you think conservationists experience imposter syndrome more than most people? I'm willing to say scientists do because I think they for sure know how much there is to know and how little they know, but they're also not getting paid very much and academia is very competitive and the I, science world is very competitive. That's, that's probably true, right? Because if you hear any scientist talk about their work or their you know their research paper they spent like three years they know more than anyone else on the planet about this one particular thing and even then written down in the paper that we're like listen you know we only you know maybe we know this one little thing a little bit we're not 100 percent sure obviously we need other people to check you know i'm sure someone will point things out that we've messed up charles darwin wrote as a chapter in the origin of species everything that's probably wrong with the origin of species and that was revolutionary at the time like nobody usually wrote about the things that were wrong with their experiments it must have changed at some point because i i don't think the greek uh philosophy people were, <laughs> were like thinking like oh i'm probably wrong about this they were very adamant that they were right i think charles darwin was like the first person to ever do that and that's part of the reason why he was so revolutionary is because like he his wife was religious and his cousin, like his wife was his cousin, <laughs> like everyone was super religious. He even started off um, in a religious position. So for him to come forth, Hence the cousin wife, yeah, for him to come forth with 
evolution meant that he had to be very convincing and it's better to convince someone by saying like I acknowledge these flaws I'm working on them rather than waiting for other people to point them out like if you beat them to it it's kind of like don't worry I've thought of this I'm ahead of the game I get, compared to like Galileo who was like the earth is not the center of the universe I know this I measured it and the Pope was like fuck you <laughs> what are you talking about no way you got to take it back he's like no I won't I'm right yeah there's no way I'm wrong so I don't know like I've heard any high like doctors apparently experience imposter syndrome a lot as well I think anything you have to study very rigorously for and like have to know about like for instance even with this book like I when I press publish I was so scared like immensely scared about the book coming out and it's interesting because I don't know anybody else who has written about conservationists in this way before like if like if I put out this information I might be one of the first people to do it nobody could have contested me but at the same time like if I'm kind of like Darwin if I'm putting something out first I want to make sure like I'm, I'm very rigorous in how I say like I don't want it to be contested. I don't want to look stupid. Like, it wasn't until I got it handed to me, the draft in the book format, and I actually read it, and I was like, oh, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> you make it sound like it's a lot to do with just being like a front runner in whatever field you're in. Mm. Like, if you're just a guy who gets work done, like, you can just, like, oh, Google how to do this, or like, ask your boss how to do it. But if you're like the expert and you're the one inventing how to do it, you know, you have no one to ask for help. You just, it's just you, and you have to be confident enough to be like, yeah, I know, I know, I know this. And that's kind of true because, like, every scientist who's doing a master's, honors, or PhD is studying something nobody's ever studied before. Like, you have to choose novel research topics. So all of these people are doing something nobody's ever done before. How can you go to, go for help? Like, you are the leader in whatever this is. So everybody, I think that's probably why it's exacerbated in science. And I've never thought of this before. Everybody is the leader in their line of research. So it's like, you're the only one studying it. There's no one to compare. But like, I don't know if there was people to compare you that I thought that would be exacerbating. Because you could like, imagine if you're the only person who knows that much, you could just have the attitude of like, well, I'm the know-it-all. <laughs> I know the most. Everyone should just listen to me. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think maybe like we've talked about this in basically every episode, but the glorification of conservation where it's like we've got Jane Goodall, Steve Owen, all these people to look up to. And we're like, you're either them or you're nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not them. So I must be nothing. <laughs> if you're if you plant five trees on the weekend I'm in no a, Jane next to a car park, you're like, man, you know, I'm next to Steve Irwin I'm not doing much this is the problem I have with lonely conservationists is that they think they're not worth anything because they're a certain demographic like I'm just a volunteer I'm just a student I'm just a mom I'm just a citizen science they feel like they can't write a blog about how they have faced challenges in the industry and yet their story and their perspective is really important and this is what I don't understand is that like even so early in their career, just as a high school student, they already think their voice doesn't matter. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, hey, can you tell me how you've overcome your struggles? Oh, I can't. I'm not like a famous scientist yet. 
so your struggles don't matter now like that bewilders me easily picturing future struggles that will be even greater (laughs) like imposter syndrome to be that prevalent that you like you think your struggles don't matter like it's not even about your successes at this point like i can't believe it when for me i love the stories from people in high school or the people who are like making um, environmentally friendly houses or if they're doing citizen science i love those stories because it gives representation for other people in the same position for them to feel empowered like when i read a novel on citizen science i bring up this novel at like every job interview i'm at because it's like amazing like this citizen science book changed my perspective perspective on citizen science like scientists are so wrapped up in publishing and doing things that take so long whereas citizen scientists are finding out like new stars new species all this stuff they're like doing the majority of science because it's really quick and easy because they don't have to go through rigorous academic processes we should be like glorifying citizen scientists more yet they're coming to me saying that their voice is not worthy their story is not worthy Mm. sad yeah it's really sad (laughs) like i just feel if there's one thing that i could tell people in lonely conservationists like literally if i died and i had like one last thing to say it would be that your voice matters no matter who you are because you shouldn't ever for a second think that you don't deserve to tell your story because you're a student or you're not old enough or you're too old. Like, that's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Tell that to Greta. Yeah, exactly. Look at Greta. If you ever feel too young to be important, Greta's changing What the happened there? How, how did her life turn into this? Well, she just started school strikes in Germany, I think. And then they... Even then, that's already a big... That's not something I was I would bother to do. I think she did it on her, on her own. Like, she just skipped school and had a sign striking for climate. And then her other classmates must have caught her and then other schools. And then it's like a ripple effect, right? Like, one person can do something that can change the world. Yeah. Well, all I was going to say is, like, you know, not everyone needs to be Greta. There's, like, plenty of people doing little smaller things but like it all adds up yeah exactly and this is what like i hate when people say oh i'm just one person like okay back when tumblr was a thing there was like (laughs) this story i'll never forget it was like it's so weird how this tumblr post changed my life (laughs) it was like apparently all these like sea stars washed up on the beach and this little boy was chucking all the sea stars back into the ocean and the old man comes and he's like little boy you won't make a difference by chucking these sea stars back in the ocean. There's billions of them. Like, you're only going to chuck in a fraction of them back into the ocean. And he's like, yeah, but it matters to this one, and it matters to this one, and it matters to this one. And so for me, if I can change, like, one starfish's life, it's and then everybody else gets a starfish and chucks it back into the ocean. Like, we all might be just picking up one starfish, but, like, together we could return all the sea stars back into the ocean <laughs> i know i said starfish and sea stars i like switch sea stars is the correct one i've not never heard of a sea star it's like but... they're not fish they're cnidarians i think just a quick interruption sea stars are actually echinoderms not cnidarians um i just had to look that up and i was wrong so sorry past jesse i, I can believe they're not fish <laughs> anyway sea stars but basically what i'm saying is you shouldn't be ashamed you're only picking up one sea star 
Anyway, um, I kind of want to know how you deal with your imposter syndrome. Like when you feel inadequate at work or when you're hacking something and you have a problem and you want to talk to someone. I thought you were asking the audience and just no. like comments, feedback. <laughs> no, I mean you. How Write do you... a letter to us and tell us how your personal imposter syndrome is. We'll put it on the blog. Me personally, I've yeah. already given two stories. No, how you overcome it. Over... Oh, wow. Not how you experience it, how you overcome it. There's a lot. A lot more sessions of therapy to <laughs> make some progress on that. Is there anything that stands out to you? You just it it, it it for me it just takes time to get comfortable with it, doesn't it? Yeah. You, you like if you do anything new for the first week, you're gonna be like, oh, I'm new at it, but that's okay because I'm new at it. If I suck at it, but if you've been doing conservation for four years at university, like you don't you there. Like, that's crazy because in my brain after i'd done conservation for four years at university i was like yeah that's my university stage done that's like my first baby step now for the rest of my life <laughs> like yeah i mean hopefully so, right hopefully it, you've progressed more it's in so your life. interesting for you to say that like after four years of doing a conservation degree we should feel like we know everything because that's i know that people like i've only done four years of conservation i can't possibly submit a blog to you i don't know anything <laughs> i sort of feel like for me it's very bad advice but i did two years of uni dropped out and then people said like years later people were like, oh you should go back to uni you know finish it off i'm like nah, i don't really feel like learning anymore i feel like i'm there already and i should just start doing the work well it's true and you've done a lot of good which work. is what i did but I... I don't think that's great advice for everyone no but like I had a learning conservationist come to me the other day and they basically wanted to do a master's next year just because they wanted it on their resume or to say academically I have conservation training and I was like what's special about you is you don't have conservation training when Gus and Maria did the um, lonely conversationist um, episode about unconventional pathways it was like one of the most popular um topics that we've ever done on that series and it just highlighted to me how many people don't have an academic background in conservation and how appealing it is to have idols and people in the space to look up to who also don't have an academic background because if i was like in the same boat as that lonely conservationist that was only doing a master's for the sake of it like if i saw somebody going out and pioneering in the space and just doing what they did because they're good at it and I would look up to them and think that I could also do that. I don't think we should be pressured and I don't think we should pressure each other into doing academia because cause it's hard. Well, it's something to do though, isn't it? If you, no, but like, you haven't got much other they prospects. They have other amazing things to do. Like their capacity for what they could produce is endless. And I think them to do a master's would be to be prolonging their contributions to the world. And I just think that like there is so much pressure to be academically successful in the space and i know some jobs they just won't accept you if you don't have like an undergrad minimum but i swear there's like a really really important space for people who don't have academic training because most people who are in conservation are passionate right they they're going to learn all this stuff on their own i learn more from being in the field and from traveling and from talking to people than i have from a book i think everyone everyone sort of knows that right yeah, but it's like so. I know in my in my technical field, if someone's like got a PhD in computer science, 
And they're like, well, now I can, you know, get a job just doing day-to-day stuff. I'm like, well, you're going to be useless at it. Yeah. People have no respect for that. I think in technology, it's an interesting one because people who tinker and play around and work on their own projects always are going to know more than people who have done a degree. Yeah. And when, like, like, the stuff they're doing in degrees are, like, very different to what happens in real life. Like, what the job is. True. It's much more theoretical, academic. I don't know. I think how I overcome my imposter syndrome, firstly, is like exactly what I'm telling all of you is that everyone has a place. Like, so there's this group of conservation, they're not conservation psychologists, but they work on like the psychology of conservation. Yes. <laughs> um, they are amazing women doing a PhD, all doing PhDs. And there's three of them and I meet with them like once a month and I'm the only one not academically affiliated. I was so nervous to bring anything to the table until I grappled with the fact that because I'm not academically affiliated, I have a unique perspective to bring to the conversation. Like my shtick and my importance in this group is that I can speak for people outside of academia and bring that in. So instead of feeling shitty because I'm not in academia, I am now feeling empowered because I am bringing something different and new to the table. That's like, pretty cool. That's been my biggest coping mechanism. But last yesterday, my mentor told me this good piece of advice, which is if you find something enjoyable and you see value in it, then that's all that matters. Like why are we, if we truly believe something is good and we're putting something valuable out into the world, why do we give a shit what other people think? And I thought for the first time, like, yeah, like, I should just be valuing my opinion. That's very egotistical, I guess. But, like, if I have... Who cares if anyone else finds it useful? If I have gone to the length to spend months producing and writing a book and putting money into publishing it and making it available for other people, would I be doing that if I thought what I had to say was shit? Yeah, like if it's useful to you, it must be useful to a handful of other people. Yeah, and this is like, because every time I'm shocked, right? I'm sh- I was shocked when I put out Lonely Conservationist, and then there's suddenly 4,000 other people who agree, like, I'm also a Lonely Conservationist. I was shocked. I was shocked when we put out the podcast and people liked it. If I keep wanting to put out this content and it keeps having good reactions from people, like, obviously, if I see value in it and if I find it useful, there must be some other person that also finds it useful. Like, why am I being so hard on myself to be like, oh, shit, everyone's going to hate it. I'm going to be shamed. I'm going to be run out of town. You know, when you feel like that in, impending sense of doom, like my life is over for doing this thing. You're not just an imposter. You're like actively being found out. <laughs> it's like, oh, what a... What a doesn't know anything they're just taking my mask off in front of everyone like this is the real person under here (laughs) isn't isn't that the real fear like if of the imposter syndrome you if you just sort of coast by and float on by and go with the flow you might get away with it but it's you know at some point someone might be like oh so you know you know about the blah blah and you might have to say i don't know about the blah blah like oh you can't you're not really an expert then, what are you even doing here? What, what, do you, what makes you think you have the right to be here and to be part of this? Mm. That's the real fear, isn't it? Yeah. I th- yeah. And like being ridiculed out of town. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God, I was so scared. I went to a conference last year 
And I was so petrified of um, going to this workshop because I thought it was something that was a very important thing to learn about. And what were you learning about? It was about like monetizing ecosystem services. Like, I think this is going to be huge in the future where people, it's like the green economy or something. I still don't really know. Just a heads up, I laugh really loudly here and it might burst your eardrums, so just turn down your volume for a bit and be prepared. Sorry. Sounds <laughs> like You found me out. I yeah, there we go. <laughs> Basically I didn't know anything about it. So I went to this Continue to <laughs> I went to this workshop. But I was like, this is a workshop. I can't just sit here and like listen and fade into the background. Like I have to bring something to the table. I was shitting myself. But then I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And like, I'll just own it. If I'm like, I don't know anything. I'm just here to learn. Because who can, who can hate you for wanting to learn at a conference? Like, Yeah, if you can get over that fear of being found out as an imposter, you'd be like, yeah, you know, I am who I am. I know what I know. I am an imposter. But what was radical is when we were sitting around the table, I had something to contribute to the space. Like, what the hell? I Like, nobody cared you who I was. You weren't just wasted space. Nobody cared what I did, and I had something to contribute. Like, so then I realized, like, literally, <laughs> like, I think you can't... The only thing that's, like, a barrier to you is your own... Like, your imposter syndrome is hurting yourself more than it's hurting other people. Or, like, I think the amount of times that I've overcome imposter syndrome and felt rewarded is, like, 100%. And the amount of times that I've been ridiculed out of town is 0%. So. <laughs> based on your personal based experience. Based on my personal There's don't one worry time about though. It. Oh my God. I was at an um, animal behavior conference when back when I was in my undergrad. And I had this burning question for a, a spider scientist about his research. So basically it was something to do with like the movement and direction of spiders where he had the spider suspended on like a foam ball and they were working out the axes or something. I don't know. Anyway, I, I walked up to him afterwards and I was like, excuse me, excuse me, spider scientist. Can I ask you a question? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, how did you stick the spider to the ball? <laughs> and he's like, what the hell? Like spiders hate being suspended in midair. They're just going to attach to anything. So it's like holding it with its feet. And I was like, bullshit. What? I have seen a billion spiders dangling in midair. So that actually, I lied. I have been ridiculed. All the scientists in standing around him laughed at me. Like, oh, don't you know they spiders hate dangling? Town. Yeah, who spiders? How would I know? Spiders spi- love dangling. I know. I thought spiders love dangling. They're always dangling around. <laughs> so, actually, okay. Sometimes confronting imposter syndrome doesn't really pay off. But now I learn that spider scientists are a bit of a dick. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know a lot of good spider scientists. Actually, our good friend Tim is a spider scientist. Okay. I don't know why I keep saying spider scientist and say, is it arachnidologist? Stereotyping into the <laughs> <laughs> Incorrectly labeling this entire group of people. Is it an, an arachnidologist? I, like, I don't know what you call spider scientists. It's actually arachnologist, not arachnitologist. I was just a couple of syllables off, but I was close. But it's probably this one guy. But I would give like advice to anybody that is a scientist. Think about other people's imposter syndrome. Like if he considered how me, a little undergraduate, was feeling, maybe him and his friends wouldn't have laughed me out of town. <laughs> 
So now my, my success rate with imposter syndrome is like 99%, but still a big percent. A pass. It's an A+. Plus. It's bittersweet when you have a bit of that imposter syndrome. You're not sure if, you know, how much you know versus everyone else and what the, what the score is. And then, you know, after a while you find out, oh, hang on, everyone around me knows way less than I do. And it's very relieving at first. And you feel much more calm. But now, oh no, that means I can't learn from anyone here. I'm just going to be stuck with all these idiots. <laughs> Is that how you Has feel? Has that ever happened to you? It's I... happened to me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I always have things to learn, even if it's not academically, like, socially. Like, my mum used to say you I was like... learn how to do with idiots. My mum used to say I was like Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory, which I resent. I don't think I'm autistic or anything like that. Like, <laughs> like not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, there's a whole department in Todd's work where there's autistic people work, and they do a great job at what they do. Like, there's specialised... They are focusing. the most useful, smartest, friendly people in the entire office. It's left me with the impression that... If you're on the autistic bedroom, you're a better person <laughs> on average. Yeah. Well, like my mom used to think I had some kind of like social problem. And I think it's because I'm so blunt and straight up with people. And I guess that's in society is not very respected. I think when I'm in situations, sometimes I get like a good um, like social experience, like even working with NGOs learning how it, they operate within that space or working with like volunteer groups and learning how people lead or learning like for instance when spencer hosts the lonely conversationist web series i am so impressed with his hosting every time like the way he asks questions and he follows it up so beautifully if i was doing that i would be so excited about what i was going to say next that i would just like blurt it out or go on a tangent instead of like because this is like something you'd ask a stupid question like how does the spider stick to the wall <laughs> yeah and waste everyone's it. time no but like this is a conversation where we can just like speak freely but in those kind of interviews it's good to have your set questions but if you follow it up with something making sure that it's constructive and then will lead you to the next question and i have had so much joy in learning that from him. I still don't know if I could give proper interviews like that. But I think even like, just say Spencer and I knew everything equally academically, which is definitely not true. I don't know a lot about penguins. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel like you can still have something to learn from other people on like a different plane. That's not just knowledge, you know? Yeah. Not everyone's going to be super great at everything. Yeah, I think people have different skills. Like, there was a guy at Todd's work that brought cake on his birthday and everybody laughed at him. But I think bringing a cake and bringing the social atmosphere is, like, a good job to have in the office. Most valuable guy in the office. Yeah, I know. Very underappreciated. (laughs) But I just feel like... I don't know. I think we all have so much to learn and maybe if we're in spaces where there's big egos and everyone thinks they know everything it doesn't open you up to like I learn from making mistakes that's just I would rather I would not rather like apologize than ask for permission it's not like in that way but I'd rather just like instead of agonizing over teaching myself everything about making a podcast or everything about writing a book I just 
make it and if it's shit it's shit I've learned from it like I learn from mistakes so if I'm in a uh, a work environment where there's big egos and everyone is living to a high level of perfectionism I feel like I can't function or grow or learn yeah you got to just own it like if if you feel like you're an imposter and you shouldn't be there you don't know enough just be like well yeah there must be reasons you feel that way you haven't had much experience in this particular field but like just like have that attitude of like yeah i don't know much but i'm here to learn let's do it should be fun i think that's actually a life and if people if the people around you are like huh you don't know much you idiot like that's just on them for being a dickhead do you yeah and also like i think it's seriously a life hack if you always go into the situation with the mentality that you're here to learn then you don't ever have to be the expert or know everything (laughs) like doesn't that like cancel out imposter syndrome if you come into something with the intention of just knowing more later (laughs) did we just solve imposter syndrome in this podcast (laughs) seriously i think that's great to go into something always with like so two things always come in owning your space i am a 12 year old volunteer who's never planted a tree cool you're useful because I can find out what engages you and people in your demographic of how to start engaging you in planting trees. And I can charge you much less <laughs> below minimum wage. No, but like I think everybody has a niche. If you're a mother, the environmental minister, a lawyer, a Todd, a Jesse, everybody has something to bring to the table that's unique. Like even if it's a story, a perspective, maybe a language, like. Maybe I get into a volunteer group and there's somebody that um, speaks Bahasa and nobody can speak Bahasa. Even if I can just like somewhat communicate with them, maybe that's like a huge game changer for how that group operates. So I think firstly, own your space, acknowledge who you are and what you bring to the table. Secondly, go to learn. If you do those two things, how can you fail? Like, oh my God, like we're just going to thrive in life now. There's no excuse not to. Like, we've combated imposter syndrome. Yeah, as long as you don't purposely pretend to be someone else and sneak in somewhere and literally be an imposter, you'll never be found out. A fruit ninja hiding in all the fruit bowls (laughs) with your sword. (laughs) As long as you don't push it too far, get into the Dunning-Kruger effect, think you suddenly know everything about spiders and that, like... I'm going to start writing a paper about why they just do dangle everywhere because I have evidence. I've I, seen them dangle. <laughs> I thought I've seen them dangle. I don't know. I think there's like... What do you feel about fake it till you make it instead? I think you have to fake it till you make it. Well, are you faking it or are you admitting that you don't know everything and you're here to learn? Well, I feel like they're very different <laughs> attitudes. I mean, have I faked it until I make it? I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't sound appealing to me. It's not something I live by. I prefer... I think I'm too honest to fake it. I'm a very blunt, honest person. I think I come into things... Like, even when we went to check out our wedding venue, and he's like, I hope the toilets are okay. I'm like, oh, man, I'm used to shitting in a hole in Africa. Like, don't worry about <laughs> me. A lot of my guests are from a conservationist. Like, don't worry about us. Like, that's how I talk to people. It's, like, too blunt, maybe. But I can't. I, I can't imagine myself faking anything so i think like i personally come into the into the situation with i'm here to learn because that's like a honest jesse approach but i know that faking it until you make it works for a lot of people like faking confidence i've heard a lot of uh 
corporate business people give TED talks about it or something. It's very popular in that in that world. I actually wish you faked it because you're so <laughs> you wish good. That I faked yeah, you're like so good at everything you do. Yeah, you're like actually the most riddled with imposter syndrome person I've ever met, probably. <laughs> but if you just pretended you were as good as you actually are, you would make it because you're just pretending to be as good as you actually are good. Because at the moment you're pretending you're not as good as you are so if you faked it to pretend you are as good as you are then you will make it i should just yeah (laughs) i should just internally fake it till i make it but you're saying externally nothing probably on par with what people expect of you anyway yeah like it matches up with reality now (laughs) (laughs) i think well i think that that's the argument of them isn't it of like people feel like they're not feel the imposter syndrome and just internally Say to yourself, fake it till you make it. Because, like, if you're there, you probably deserve to be there. Is, yeah, that's another thing, right? So, when, so just don't worry about that. When I was at that conference as the woman in STEM change maker and everybody was, like, reverting their eye contact at me and I was feeling really shit about myself, there was always the notion that I had got that scholarship. People were paying for me to be there. I deserved to be there. There was obviously something about who I was or what I did that deserved to be there. And that's, <laughs> that's how I had to get through that. I don't know what the conference was, but like, if you're a woman in STEM, boom, the worst, on the list. The worst thing was, it was a, it was a gender equity conference. It was about catalyzing gender equality, and I was there to represent can women in STEM. But it wasn't. It was there was like gender equality. Yes, there wasn't like academic or like life equality. I was treated <laughs> as less than in an equality conference. Because, that is a bit ironic. Yeah, because I wasn't associated with academia. Like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think like I think we've solved imposter syndrome. I think we've gone on a while. <laughs> I think we've solved it. Um, so either fake it till you make it, or admit, just be more open about not knowing everything and treat everything like a learning experience. A learning experience. Just be honest. I think like. There are dickheads out there like the spider scientists who I'll never forget. Um, but I don't think... Avoid spider scientists. <laughs> I'm sorry for any spider scientists who are listening. I hope I hope you guys can pioneer the arachnid space. And if anybody comes to ask you a question, just treat them with respect because they will harbour this angst about asking you questions and being ridiculed by all your spider friends for the rest of their life. Yeah. So that's it folks, if you are a spider scientist, please be nice to the conservationists in your life. Um, You could help combat imposter syndrome one conservationist at a time. But until then, head over to LonelyConservationist.com to check out the other people in the community and their amazing stories. We shouldn't ridicule them because we have learned so much and got so much from the stories they share. If you want to support a conservationist, head over to patreon.com slash lonelyconservationist or check us out on social media at lonelyconservationist on Instagram and at lonelyconserve on Twitter. I think that's it for today and I'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Thank you.